0: They got we got roped off after that. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, I did. That was hilarious. Yeah,
1: we're not. We weren't supposed to
0: contact any, them in any, any interaction. interaction. Yeah, yeah, that was funny though.
1: <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of 4:30 in the morning. This is your boy Ben
0: and Pat is back as well. 82. I don't know about you, man, but I'm feeling 82.
1: Yeah, that was uh one of my football numbers in grade
0: school. Was it really? Mm-hmm. You know, back in 82. I could throw a pigskin a quarter mile.
1: No, what the hell am I talking
0: about? You ever see Napoleon yeah. Dynamite? Yes. Uncle Rico? Yes. He lived in 82.
1: I don't know why I said grade school. 82 was my number in high school.
0: Oh, okay. The yeah. one year you played? The one year I played, yep. Very good. Thank you. I don't know who wears 82. That's kind of a weird number. It's a receiver number and a tight end number, but I can't think of any way that wears it.
1: Did T.O. wear 82 at one no, point? No, we
0: talked about that on the last episode. He wore 81. We talked about it on the last we episode? Did. We did. God damn it. Who wore
1: 82? I don't know. Somebody did. Do you have any news stories?
0: Yes. Yeah, so let's just get right into the news yeah, then. Get into the news. All right. My first one, how many do you have today, sir? I have two or three. I think we, three. We are off to a really good start, I'd say. Good. I was being sarcastic. Oh. Anyways, on to the news. My first one comes from a website called hypebeast.com. Okay. I've never heard of this one before. Nice. This one's kind of funny, though. I'm excited. Breaking Bad's Walter White and Jesse Pinkman are getting their own statues in Albuquerque. <laughs> There's seen the show breaking bad yes it was a pretty good show it's pretty damn good it's pretty much all i know of the city of albuquerque for yeah and i guess uh <laughs> they were they were so popular in that city that they're getting their own statues i can see it in celebration of the massive success of breaking bad the new mexico city of albuquerque is now erecting statues of the show's two main characters walter white played by brian cranston and jesse pinkman played by aaron paul the statues were commissioned by the critically acclaimed show's creator vince gilligan himself back in 2019 and have now been gifted to the city's government due to his desire to give something back To the location where the show was set. Over the course of 15 years, two shows and one movie, Albuquerque has been wonderful to us, Gilligan said, hoping the statues will be able to attract more tourism to the city. Now, have you ever traveled to a city to visit a statue? No. I can't say that I have either. Despite his good intentions, however, some local residents have criticized the glamorization of the two drug dealers, especially (laughs) given Albuquerque's ongoing battle with drugs. (laughs) They're erecting statues in honor of characters who were meth dealers, addicts, and murderers in a city known for rampant meth addiction and drug problems, one commenter wrote on Twitter. While another saw the humor in the situation, saying despite Cranston and Paul's amazing performances, it was still amusing to see such beloved um, meth makers getting this tribute. As for those interested in checking out the statues of Walter and Jesse, they'll be revealed on July 29th at the city's convention center with Mayor Tim Keller, Gilligan, and executive producer Peter Gould, and Cranston and Paul themselves attending the ceremony. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so imagine for a second you're the city of Albuquerque. Now bear in mind, they didn't claim this. This was a gift to them. Sure. But the most popular people from your city are fictional meth dealers. <laughs> And they're so important to the city that you have to put a statue up for them. It's pretty sad. It is pretty sad. Now, I don't really know what's going on in Albuquerque.
1: Now, it would be funny if
0: the statues
1: were of them in, like, their meth lab suits. That's probably what it's going to be. That's absolutely hilarious.
0: I think that's what it's going to be. I mean, it's going to be the characters. It's not of the actors. It's of the characters. Sure. (laughs) Anyways, I thought that one was kind of funny. It's a little bit dumb. I don't have many very good news stories this week. That's pretty good. Anyways, what else do you have today, sir?
1: I saw this, like, a couple weeks ago, but it's been a minute since we recorded. Sure. But this is from Unilad. Uh Uh-oh. Ben Affleck's 10-year-old son crashed his Lamborghini into another car. (laughs) That's pretty good. Ben Affleck's 10-year-old son has crashed a Lamborghini into another car after somehow ending up behind the wheel. <laughs> According to the TMZ, the movie star was out and about with girlfriend Jennifer Lopez and son Samuel when they visited 777 Exotics, in a luxury car rental dealership. While exploring the varied range of fancy cars on offer, Samuel was allowed to get behind the wheel of a bright yellow Lamborghini, a place almost anyone would want to be, let alone a 10-year-old boy. However, someone. Somehow the car ended up crashing into another vehicle. Samuel pinged into the car <laughs> pinged the car into a white BMW parked behind the Lamborghini. Luckily it was only a little crash, nobody was hurt. While the load speed collision neither meant neither the car was badly damaged. Sammy was well enough to immediately hop out of the Lamborghini, expect a minor damage, as well as get a comforting hug from his dad. But the pictures of this ordeal look so funny. Like, it
0: looks like a ridiculous event is going on. <laughs> <laughs> we're have to get to have to get this article up on Facebook because that's funny. There's,
1: there was another, uh, it looked like Ben Affleck was like yelling at the dude.
0: Of course, he would. He probably blamed somebody else for this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it was a really funny picture. I'm trying to find it. Oh yeah, here he is. Look look at him. <laughs>
0: oh my god <laughs> he's not even yelling at his own kid i would the kid he's yelling to, at the dealer the kid needs to be grounded literally now there are a couple things going on with this one. First of all i just bought a, a newish car myself i didn't realize that dealers keep a lot of the keys in the car themselves mm-hmm. on the lot i had no idea hmm. so like the dealer the, the 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 salesman came out after i was looking at the car for a little bit but like, did you guys open it up yet i'm like no i didn't realize i was allowed to do that <laughs> like, he hasn't started up yet or anything i'm like no the keys are probably in there. And sure enough, the keys are in there the entire time. Like, what made you think I think I have the authority to do this? Yeah, that's what I told the guy. I'm like, I don't touch other people's property until it's mine. You know what yeah. I mean? So I'm assuming that the keys had to have been in this Lamborghini for this thing to start. But or I, he, the I, access I, was given.
1: I feel like there's different levels of dealerships here. We're talking Lamborghinis. I yeah. highly doubt anyone's going to leave the keys of a Lamborghini in the Lamborghini. Well, somehow
0: this kid did something and got it moving. Now, they didn't say if he started the car or not. It sounds like he did. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Aren't most, like, sports cars, aren't those manual transmissions? I don't know if they all are, but I feel like a Lamborghini is probably a stick. Probably? I feel like it probably is. So does this kid know how to drive a stick, then? I don't know. At age 10?
1: I don't think. I think it kind of just kind of rocked back and forth a little bit. You had I, to have
0: released the clutch at some point, don't you? To drive us, to, to get a stick in gear. I think, yeah. Like, you're not just going to pull the parking brake and be good to go. Sure. Even if it's a neutral.
1: Yeah. Maybe he had to get it into gear. There's,
0: there's more going on with this story. I feel like Brad. <laughs> Who is this Brad Pitt or is this uh, Ben Affleck? Ben Affleck. Oh, I get the, I get those guys mixed up. Sure. Um, I feel like there's more going on. I feel like he's trying to cover something up with this one. It's possible. Anyways, that's hilarious. Could you imagine?
1: It's the majority of the article there. Dude, I'd be so pissed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I were the dealership, I'd be furious. I'd make him buy the Lamborghini. Yeah. And the other and, car. And
1: the BMW. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, I have heard about kids driving before. Like, there's a story. I almost talked about it today because I just saw it on like a, like a meme or whatever of an eight-year-old that taught himself how to drive by watching YouTube videos and he was like well you know i think i can drive and he had like a five-year-old sister and he's like hey you want to go to mcdonald's and she's like sure so they hopped in the car <laughs> <laughs> and he drove to mcdonald's Unreal. and they said that th- there was a lot of security fan it was like in a city so there's security fam- uh, camera footage of the entire trip and he followed all the laws stayed under the speed limit made it to mcdonald's ordered and paid with uh piggy bank money i mean i could see it and they gave him the food which is the most ridiculous part <laughs> That's hilarious, though. But anyways... That was a great news story. What was that from, again? Unilad.com? Unilad, yep. Okay. Brad Pitt. No, not Brad Pitt. Fuck. Ben Affleck. Fucking Ben Affleck. He's a troublemaker. Yeah, he is. Anyways, I got this one from UPI Odd News, and I'm going to be surprised if you don't have this one. Our I think favorite. I think you're going to have this one. New Jersey man finds $1,000 in money from 1934 buried under porch. Do you not have sure. this one? Uh-uh. This is from July 11th. A New Jersey man doing home renovations made a surprising discovery underneath the porch area. $1,000 in $10 and $20 bills from 1934. Rich Gilson and his wife Suzanne bought the 1920s era cottage in Wildwood about four years ago and have since elevated the house and added a new foundation. Gilson said he was using a mini excavator to remove parts of the old foundation on Friday when he encountered a pair of strange objects. I thought they were weeds, Gilson told NJ.com. I picked them up and just threw them aside and they went to the pile I was using for fill. Gilson said it rained on Saturday and when he returned to complete the work on Sunday Monday. The objects again caught his eye. He realized they were rolled up paper bound with rubber bands. I got to look at the edge and it had a green tint to it. And I said, this is money, Gilson said. It looked like mini cigars all bound up together and when I broke it apart I started to see what it was. He said the bills were buried underneath where the porch used to be. He said the area previously was only accessible via crawl space. It was pretty shallow too, Gilson said. Somebody had to crawl under there and dig a hole in that crawl space. Suzanne Gilson said on the Facebook post that there were $1,000 total and all of the 10 and 20 dollar bills were marked as having been printed in 1934 which that's kind of weird you don't ever see money that's all like dated the same you know what i mean yeah rich gilson said that he suspects the cash the equivalent of more than twenty thousand dollars in the 1930s might have been tied to illegal activity my sense is that something fishy happened he said somehow somebody got the new bills rolled them up like that put them in a jar somebody was hiding it not just under their bed or in the wall for safekeeping gilson said he plans to hold on to the money i don't see myself spending this money gilson said there's too good of a story for what it's worth so that's the end of that article i thought that was pretty cool though it is really cool um i've always wanted i have dreams about that like like i find money that i forgot about or just, like, cash, and it ends up being, like, a ridiculous amount of money. Hell, yeah. And then I wake up. That would up, be nice. then I wake up, and I'm like, shit, that wasn't real, was it? But, so,
1: I, I wonder if those old bills have any more value.
0: Yeah, I feel like they probably do. I've heard about old currency having some, like, extra value, basically. Yeah,
1: because you, you do in coins. Sure. Well, mainly because they were more pure like weren't yeah weren't quarters made with like actual silver back sure, then sure but they're not today so i could see yeah but you know. even
0: like the just the collectability of that yeah There's people out there that are going to spend more money for exact, that. exactly anyways that's all i got with that one nice. um what else do you have today sir
1: i got one from upii news uh-oh <clears throat> wisconsin man suctions 10 canes to his head for guinness <laughs> world record 10 canes? Cans. Did I say canes? you said canes. I meant cans. Sorry. Wisconsin man with unusual skin suction recaptured a Guinness World Record by sticking 10 cans to his shaved head. Oh, my God. Jamie Keaton, a.k.a. Canhead, or Canpa, to his grandchildren. originally set the record for the most drink cans placed on head using air suction in 2016 when he affixed eight cans to his head and had them remain in place for at least five seconds. Keaton's record was broken by a Chinese man who stuck nine (laughs) cans to his head in 2019 leading Keaton to recapture the title this year with ten. Wow. Keaton turned his ability to stick objects to his head into a lucrative career attributed his unusual skill to a medical condition. I actually have a skin condition that's not named yet where my skin pours literally suck in oxygen Keaton told Guinness World Records the condition has caused objects to stick to his skin since he was a child but Keaton said he didn't realize the extent of his abilities until he shaved his head for the first time and went to a ball game I was trying to cool my head down I dried it off at first grabbed a can of pop and just started cooling my head down he said as I was doing that they hit a home run and I went up to grab it and missed but then I was like where's my drink it was stuck to the back of my head
0: oh my god (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know what to do with that.
1: Um, Keaton said his head suction has led him to some unexpected places in life. I have now made it into a business. I have market for people's companies and go to events where they pay me anywhere from ten dollars to $20,000 a weekend, he said. Why? All because of this condition, I got to meet so many celebrities. That's what's really funny is that they actually come up to me and ask me for photos. They know me before I see them.
0: That's the end of the article. I how pe- People are what? paying money to watch this. Like I could probably do that. I could probably stick 10 cans to my head. <laughs>
1: To $20,000 a weekend? Are you I'm, kidding I'm me? I'm going to
0: quit my job and I'm going to become a can. I head chose sticker. the wrong career. Yeah, no shit. Oh, shit. That one was from UPI Odd News. Yeah. That was a pretty odd news story. <laughs> you no, know, I didn't see that one. I didn't click on it, though, so that was a good one. That I one. didn't think it would be like all that. There's a lot going on with that one anyways uh, do you have any more news I have one more I got one more too sure I'll go ahead and get this one in real quick this is run this one comes from the dailybeast.com okay this one's kind of dumb Oklahoma man says Bigfoot made him kill his fishing partner, police say. A day out hand-fishing for catfish on the South Canadian River in Pontotoc County, Pontotoc, Pontotoc County, Oklahoma, has turned into a murder investigation after a man claims Bigfoot forced him to kill his friend. Larry Sanders, 53, stands charged with first-degree murder after allegedly admitting first to a family member and later to police that his to killing his noodling fishing partner, Jimmy Knighton, who Sanders claimed wanted him dead by the hand of the mythical monster Bigfoot. Noodling is a popular fishing technique used in the southern United States to catch a fish by sticking one's hand in its mouth. Mm. Have you ever noodled before? I have not. I plan on doing it at some point. Yeah, you got to try get, that shit? I'll probably get my hand bit off, but whatever. Well, sure. You only live once. The local sheriff, John Christian, told the local media that Sanders appeared to be under the influence of something when he told police he had struck, strangled, and then drowned Knighton. So his statement was that Mr. Knighton had summoned Bigfoot to come and kill him, and that's why he had to kill Mr. Knighton, Christian told local reporters. Christian said that the confession always makes it easier, but that the difficulty came in trying to find Knighton's body, which had floated on the river currents and was not discovered until more than 24 hours after the deadly incident. Christian said authorities first arrested Sanders on an outstanding warrant and charged him with murder only after Knighton's body was retrieved from the riverbed. So Christian killed Mr. Knighton. No, Be- Christian's the cop. Oh. Sanders killed Mr. Knighton. So, Sanders killed Mr. Knighton because he
1: believed Mr. Knighton tried to summon Big Bigfoot foot. on him. <laughs> on him, yes. <laughs> okay. That's his story. <laughs> okay, okay. So I just wanted to make sure that I got that clear.
0: Correct. You did get that clear. And that was, that was confusing at first when I was reading <laughs> the story. So, um... Anyways, you still have to prove all the elements of a crime and what the suspect is telling you. You have to prove that it's actually what happened, Christian said. Christian said the local prosecutors will likely push for the death penalty if Sanders is found guilty in this case. Holy shit. So this asshole killed his buddy... Because he assumed that his buddy had summoned Bigfoot to kill him, he was like, "I had no other choice. I have to kill this guy." Now, even going with his logic, if the summon already happened, Bigfoot's out to get him regardless. Yeah, I don't think this nighting guy being alive or dead really changes anything at this point. Yeah, I agree. So number one, this guy's gonna face a death penalty. But even if he gets acquitted somehow, which he's not going to because he confessed to it, even if he were to get acquitted, Bigfoot could still be out there and <laughs> kill him. You know what I mean?
1: What a bullshit story. This we, is
0: this is the best you can come up with. I mean, Oklahoma is a different world out there but i
1: mean you couldn't have come up with some type of self-defense story yeah that was you literally. had to come up with
0: bigfoot and it sounds like he confessed before they found the body which is <laughs> which is worse Ugh. so i don't know what an idiot anyways uh, do you have any more news today sir
1: sure this is really dumb This is from UPI Odd News. Awesome. Rare orange lobster found in shipment at Florida Red Lobster.
0: Aren't all lobsters supposed to be orange? No. Are they red?
1: I think they're like dark red.
0: Okay. Right. I don't fucking know. I don't know why I thought they were orange. I don't fucking know. Anyways.
1: An extremely rare orange lobster was spared at the dinner plate at the Red Lobster restaurant in Florida and will have a new permanent home in an aquarium. Ripley's Aquarium in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina said it was contacted by managers at the Red Lobster in Hollywood, Florida after workers discovered the orange lobster in a shipment. The lobster's orange coloring is believed to be from a mutation that occurs only in one out of 30 million lobsters. Holy shit. Man. The unusual crustacean was named cheddar in honor of Red (sighs) Lobster. Lobster's Cheddar Bay Biscuits, which those are very good. Sometimes, ordinary miracles happen, and Cheddar is one of them. Red Lobster manager Mario Roque said in a news release from Ripley's, A group of incredible people helped us make this possible. We are so honored to have been able to save Cheddar and find her a good home. They know there, it was there, a gr- there's
0: more, but that's basically about it. Do they know that Cheddar was a girl? Can they identify the gender of a lobster that easily? Gender does not exist. Genders don't exist. Oh. Oh. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. That's what I was told. Whatever the the, the, the no, I'm not even gonna start. Anyways, <laughs> on to the main topic.
1: But, but like, could you imagine <laughs> if like you were one of the other lobsters and you're oh. We we we're, we're getting slaughtered, and this guy gets this, this bitch gets <laughs> <laughs> just
0: because it looks different. Are you shitting me? Yeah, I'd be pissed if I was another lobster. Yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree there. Now I felt like orange was a normal color for a lobster. I guess not. I honestly don't know. So, I, I guess we're like brown or I, yeah. I feel like I've seen like. I feel like I've seen blood
1: red lobsters out there.
0: Sure, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. If you are a if you, if you are if you are an expert on lobsters, tweet us at thirty in the.
0: And if you work at Red Lobster and you know what the policy is regarding the seven incident, please let us know. Yes. Anyways, on to the main topic.
1: What is the main topic, Pat? This is
0: definitely your episode. This is gonna be Ben's episode. Uh, you picked this topic, didn't you? I think. I think. It is a good topic, though. Not bad. Today we're gonna be discussing survival stories.
1: Yes, survival stories.
0: Now the world is pretty harsh very harsh there's a lot of crazy stories out there people define the odds and surviving yes under insurmountable circumstances insurmountable so this could be an interesting topic it's kind of wide ranging i've yeah. got three i've got a couple of good ones and then one that's uh but
1: i i probably have listened to hundreds of Sure. And, like, very hard to choose.
0: Yeah, I try to get creative with mine. I feel like this is one that we could definitely circle back to and do another episode on. Definitely. Anyways, you want to get started with this one or you want me to get started with this one? Doesn't matter. You can go ahead. All right. I'm going to tell the story of a woman named Sarah Graves. Okay. Now, her story kind of exists as part of a bigger story, but I read a book uh back in 2020 called indifferent stars above which pretty much she was a protagonist of this book even though it was, this was a true story and it discusses essentially her survival story some ridiculous shit happened to sarah graves back in 1846 hmm. and i'm gonna tell kind of the story from her perspective basically because it is pretty interesting and that book *Indifferent stars above by an author named daniel james brown not the real daniel brown but a different dan dan brown sure um it's very good it's very good non-fiction if you're into history, especially antebellum American history. So in early 1946, the 21-year-old Sarah Graves was living in Illinois with her family. Her father Franklin was a fifty seven year old rough and ready type. He wasn't he I think it's like his dad fought in the revolution. So or his grandpa did. So these are like like the first Americans, like the first family. And Franklin Graves himself was he was kind of a wanderer. Like they lived in multiple states. I think Sarah was born in Indiana. They kind of wandered around what was then the western United States, like Illinois was about as far west as the states really got. I think Missouri was the next step. But essentially this was still like pioneer times out there, basically. Sure. So, Sarah and her family back in 1846 were thinking about moving west back in the early spring. They were like, you know, we kind of have tapped out. Franklin wasn't a farmer. He wanted kind of the adventurous lifestyle. Now, he was 57, but he was still in good shape and everything. They had like a gaggle of kids, probably, I don't know, six or eight kids total. Sarah was like, I think she was the oldest daughter and her mother's name was Elizabeth and everything and Sarah was like well yep you know I'll go along with you guys except she ended up meeting this guy in town named Jay Fosdick which is an interesting name hmm. who played the violin and she kind of fell in love with him and it was like well am I going to go with my family or am I going to stay? Or am I going to stay in Illinois with Jay? Eventually Jay said fuck it you know what I'll go with you so they set off west towards California the promised land basically back in the time. Sure. Now at this time California or the road to California was basically the Oregon Trail so you either went to Oregon or he went to California but the trail was it was recently like discovered but it was still relatively established back then so they decided that the family was gonna they were gonna go off so they ended up with 13 total people they had three wagons Like, I don't know, eight kids, four four or five adults. And then they hired a guy named John Snyder to go along with them. And most of the time back then, if you were going west, you were going to start in a city called Independence, Missouri. But they decided to start from a city called St. Joe's, which is a little bit further along. And it still had supplies and everything. The issue is is they got off to a late start. Usually these families would start like in April was a good time to leave. They didn't start until like the third week of May, Mm -hmm. which was well past the cutoff. Like May 1st was like the final date. Like if you don't start going west by May 1st, you're going to get stuck somewhere. They started with three weeks past that, so they were kind of fucked. So, they started off anyways, and basically there were still some, like, groups, like, moving west, but there weren't that many. They were kind of, like, the last group heading west for that summer. So there really weren't any people on the trail. They had to watch out for like the Native American tribes. Some of them were still like violent back then and they would attack sure. travelers and whatnot. So they had to kind of be careful of that. And what they headed west and there really wasn't too much incident on their trip, but they knew that there was a there was a company ahead that was basically read, led by this guy named James Reed and these two brothers named George and Jacob were kind of like the de facto leaders of this group and they knew that the Graves family knew that this group was ahead of them somewhere. Now they would kind of pick up a little bit of news here and there at some of the forts they'd stopped to and whatnot. And apparently this other group, led by James Reed, decided to take a different route through Utah and Idaho, through the Great Salt Lake Basin. And this route was known as Hastings Cutoff because of this guy named Lansford Hastings who was promoting this route heavily. Like, hey, don't take the Oregon Trail. Go my way. My way's faster. It's more direct. It's a better way to go. Lansford Hastings had never actually traveled this route himself, but he was telling people to take it regardless. (laughs) And he's also the guy that kind of ended up helping the Mormons. Find Utah in the first place. That's basically all he knew about the area. Is he helped Brigham Young basically <laughs> get out there. Lord Almighty. So he was known to history, but he wasn't really that good. Like he really didn't know what the hell was going on. So the Graves family finds out that this other group is heading that way, and they end up in like the Utah, Idaho area called the Wasatch Mountains, which is like a, it's like the western end of the Rockies, basically. And they catch up with this group. Now this group was all sorts of fucked up because you had these brothers, these George and Jacob guys. They didn't know what the hell was going on. They were kind of idiots. James Reed was kind of like the leader, but he didn't know what the hell was going on either. And he he kind of had a hot temper, and he ended up killing uh, he ended up killing that John Snyder guy that the Graves brought along, <laughs> over. <laughs> over how they were treating the oxen and it's like <laughs> it's like shit starts hits a fan pretty quickly with this group sounds like it. so they're traveling and they're in the middle of utah and this is like the great salt lake basin so there's nothing out there all there is is salt like you can't drink the water there's no water there's no food and it's like it's like October at this point and it's like they're they're nowhere near where they needed to be so they keep pressing west and like a lot of shit happens and they keep moving it's like every everything that they do every time they make a decision they make the wrong one so they keep going the wrong way they kick James Reed out for a while because he killed that guy he ends up like coming back like he's like becomes like the scout for the group for a while then he ends up rejoining the group later uh the one guy got shot because he, he misfired his gun and shot one of his buddies just like stupid shit like that kept happening so what ends up happening is by early November they end up in the Sierra Nevada mountains which is right on the border of Nevada and California but it's not like where they were trying to get to yet and then they end up getting stuck at a lake called Truckee Lake they're just like shit it's over we're stuck here and then the snow starts falling now they were, they were anticipating some snow they weren't anticipating the amount of snow that they had and just feet and feet of snow just start piling upon this group Right. now they already hated each other because there was no leadership James Reed was a clown The these other guys George and Jacob they weren't helping out anything either you got all these damn kids and you got all these kids wandering around and like there was no plan. So they get snowed in and on this lake, basically. So they start building cabins, which I guess proves how rugged that they were. They were just, like, build a cabin out of whatever. Now, these were small. These are like, the size of the studio, basically. It was the size of these cabins. But right. So they go to work, and they basically set up to like winter because there's no way like they kept on talking about like trying to cross the mountains There was too much snow they didn't really have a realistic plan across the mountains so what ends up happening is they get snowed in and then they start killing off their oxen they were like well we're out of supplies we're out of food we gotta start eating so they start eating their oxen which will feed you for a while but it won't help you get over the fucking mountains that they still have to deal Does with. It
1: doesn't solve your problems.
0: Sure. And there were, like, some, like, forts in the area that they could get to you, but they really couldn't. They didn't know where the hell they were. They didn't have a plan to get to these forts. So as November wears on, the people are getting more and more hungry they're stuck there's nothing's nothing's going to change basically so in december franklin graves who's still alive he decided that you know we could send out like a like a small like a scout party like like the most able-bodied people we could send we could go out and like create snowshoes and he made snowshoes himself like just like from like raw materials and he was able to get 13 total or 15 total people together including himself sarah her sister marianne who's i think 19 at the time her husband jay fosdick and a few other people so they had like i think they had they had nine men five women and one of the 12 year old boys went along and they became known as the forlorn hope and they set up like christmas time in december to go try to find help basically they didn't have any plan either Now, bear in mind, they were still reasonably well-fed. The cat, the oxen were still surviving, basically. Sure. But they just trek out into the snow. And bear in mind, this is 12 feet of snow that they're walking on top of. So this is like as barren as a barren landscape could get. After six days, people started dying. Mostly the older men started dying. Sure. Uh, a couple of the older... Uh, well, before that... They drew lots because they were like, well, we're out of food. Someone has to go, basically. This asshole named Patrick Breen drew the short lot, and they kept, like, staring at him. But they didn't actually kill him because none of them could actually do it, even though they wanted to. He ended up dying of insanity because he was waiting for them to (laughs) kill him anyways. (laughs) So he ended up leaving. What they would do is they would, like, they created a tent where they would all sit in a circle with their backs to each other. And they'd hold up, like, a blanket. And that was their tent that they built. And he ended up leaving the tent, and then he died. So they're like, "Well, shit, he's dead now. May as well go <laughs> at it." Then another guy named Antonio, who was with them, he died. And then eventually, Franklin Graves died, the fifty-seven-year-old. Like, kind of like basically, if there was a leader of the group at this point, it was this guy. He dies, and as he dies, he tells his daughters, "He's like, hey, you have to eat my body to survive." <laughs> and they're like, "We, they weren't gonna do it, basically." So then, after a little bit of time, they realize that they got three dead bodies now. There's like I think twelve people left. They were like well we kind of have to do it so what they did was they cut off the hands the feet and the head of the people and they kind of cast it aside so it didn't look like it was a person right and then they started carving out the organs and they kind of divided up the bodies so that no one ate like their relative yeah and then they kind of went to town they were eating the hearts and they would start really slowly just like little bits of bites and then once they realized that it wasn't that bad <laughs> they kind of went ate more and more and more yeah now bear in mind they don't even out there for six days they thought they were dying of starvation they thought that the people that had died died of starvation it was hypothermia that they were dying from because it was so cold out there and they had no plan yeah. to keep themselves warm because they couldn't even they couldn't really create a fire until after they could they carve out these bodies and they created the fire so they didn't really have a, like a fire plan or anything so eventually after eating their dead party members for a while they decided they had enough energy to keep going and they ended up trekking out further for a while and then they ended up like Like, shit kind of hit the fan. And it's like, well, we're out of human meat. We don't really have enough meat to eat. Then they thought they were going to die for real. But then there was a Native American tribe out in the area. I can't remember what tribe it was. That was friendly towards the settlers. They ended up finding them out there and taking them in. And the tribe knew how to live off the land. They had, like, their own village and everything. So they were fine. And they ended up feeding and, like, nursing these people back to health. And Sarah ended up surviving. And it wasn't until, like, February or March before they actually made it in. Wow. But they kept on sending, like, these, like, little parties back because the rest of people were stuck at the lake. And the same thing was going on at the lake. Like, they were, like, the one guy was, like, eating a kid. Jesus. It kind of got carried away. Like, there's a lot of cannibalism going on. Unreal. And the story today is known as a Donner party, but it really wasn't. The Donners really didn't do a whole lot. Like, James and George Donner were kind of, like, the de facto leaders, but they didn't do shit. Right. Like, George, I think George cut his hand really quickly and it just completely put him on a commission. Like, he couldn't do anything <laughs> after that. And James Reed really was kind of, like, the leader of the party, and he was a fucking clown. Then they ended up killing, they had these two Native American guides named Louis and Salvador. They ended up killing them, but I don't think they ate them. I think they were just, like, planning on killing them anyway because they didn't trust them. I don't think they got eaten, though. They might have been eaten, but it was some intense like, shit. Like, I would probably die before I ate. A human. Yeah, I, I would be probably in the same boat. I, I just cannot ever see myself doing that. It was ridiculous. But, you know, Sarah and Marianne survived. All the women that went out with the Forlorn Hope survived. Only the men died. Wow. which is interesting. You know, I don't I can't put myself
1: in that in those shoes. Like yeah. I I've never been in a survival situation and I have never been that hungry in my life. Sure. So who who who's to tell? Yeah, what I mean you can't thing?
0: you can't we can't judge these people.
1: But as of right now, I can tell you. I think I would die before i ate a human i don't
0: know i guess you have to be in that situation before you can pass judgment or to at least even judge yourself as what you would do yeah i don't know but there was this other guy i can't remember what the hell his name was but he was like bragging about it like yeah i was feasting on his leg and shit and he was like all into it and then they realized how (laughs) fucked up this guy was and then he started recanting all the stories
1: unreal
0: but yeah it was pretty intense a lot of people died but most i think most of them survived so that's good they ended up sending out these different groups called the reliefs it was like the first relief the second relief the third relief they get a band together of like people that give themselves a cool name and then they go out and try to find people. Most of the time they didn't do shit, but eventually mm. they're able to save most of the people. So good. Anyways, that's all I got with Sarah Graves' story. And if you want to read that story in detail in different Stars Above by Daniel James Brown is an excellent book. Excellent nonfiction. It really nice. puts you in the setting. And if you like history, even if you just like history, you're not interested in the cannibalism aspect, it's pretty good. Now he does get kind of gruesome. Sure. And he go over the top with like the details as to how they were eating these people. It is pretty rough. Man. And most of that, most of the primary source originally comes from a guy named Patrick Green, who I didn't mention in that story. He kept a diary of what was going on. So that's pretty much where they're getting a lot of their information from, was Patrick Green's diary. He was also the poor asshole that drew the short straw that they were going to preemptively kill for food. Poor guy. So anyways, that's all I got with that one. That was a good one. Yep. What do you got today? Hopefully that wasn't too long.
1: No, that was good. My first one is, have you ever heard of Jose Salvador Alvarenga? I feel like I have to have. I feel
0: like that's a name that I've heard before.
1: This might be a well-known story, but it's pretty awesome. It's, It's pretty
0: crazy. Sure.
1: So Jose was an experienced fisherman who spent, I mean, he spent years out at sea. So this guy knows his shit about, you know, boats fishing the waters navigation all that shit okay this guy knows what he's doing sounds good now he agreed to set out on like a 30 hour fishing trip for the company that he that he fished for and normally he goes out with other experienced fishermen but nobody was able to go out with him on this trip sure so he ended up taking um a 23 year old who was not very experienced he ended up taking ezekiel cordoba so they set off in like a small fiberglass boat with a small motor so they're not in a very big boat like it's a it's a decent-sized boat because they're able to carry a decent amount of fish. Sure. But it's really not that big of a boat, did especially you, for deep-sea fishing.
0: Did you give, like, like a timeline, like, when this happened, roughly? This happened... Shit. Had to have been after motorized boats, at least.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure this was...
0: It was in the 2000s. Okay, so not terribly. Yeah. Okay, sounds yeah, good.
1: Definitely in the 2000s. So, Jose felt pretty skeptical about bringing Ezekiel. Sure. But, um, ultimately, he decided to bring him because this was supposed to be a quick fishing trip. Not very complicated... They're not far out from shore. It's only a 30-hour trip. Sure. So at first the trip was great. They were having a lot of luck catching fish. Um, they wanted to stay out a little longer to catch more fish, and they saw a storm coming, uh, starting to brew up. And they were like, you know what? We're doing so good. Let's wait to the very last minute to fish, and then once the storm gets close, we'll we'll start heading back. Sure. Well, they waited too long, and they got caught up in the storm. And the storm was. Horrendous. Like the rain it was like the storm of the century. Like it was really bad. Sure. The rain was coming down hard. The waves were ridiculous. They couldn't even see the rain was so thick they couldn't even see where shore it was. Sure. They had no other hell where they were going. He had his compass and shit, but the waves were so bad, there was just nothing they can do to steer the ship. Sure. So what Jose ended up deciding to do was just to let the storm take them, and hopefully it took them to shore eventually somewhere. But the storm ended up lasting like freaking five days, oh and God. it never let up at all. And before they knew it, they were being ...pushed out farther and farther into the sea. Sure. Unfortunately. Now, mind you, they did have... Now, they didn't have very many supplies... Because this was only supposed to be a 30-hour trip. Okay. So they took limited amount of water, limited amount of food, yada, sure. yada, yada. Now, by the time the storm was, was gone, the boat was just utterly destroyed. Their motor had been completely ripped off the boat. So they had no motor. Completely gone. Now, they did have a radio. The radio worked, but the radio ended up getting fucked up. Yeah. And he was able to get a transmission out saying they got caught up in a storm. He, like, called his boss on the, on the radio. Sure. But it was broke before they were able to get a message back from anybody. Okay. So they don't really know if anybody got the message, but they were just kind of banking that they did. Yep. And so they were just kind of drifting out there for a while. Just hoping somebody got the transmission and they were looking for him. Sure. Well, uh, turned into a very long time.
0: And after four months. Four months? Holy shit. So they
1: were out there together for four months. Now, they would drink their own urine. Now, Jose was very experienced. So he would literally, like, jump in the water and, like, catch jellyfish and, like, birds. Sure. And shit like that to, like, eat and stuff. And they would have to eat raw seafood, basically. Yeah. And Jose was used to that. But this other kid, Ezekiel, he. He couldn't handle it. It wasn't happening. And after four months, he just could not stomach any of it anymore. Like they were literally drink turtle blood to yeah. stay hydrated in their own urine and shit. Sure. This guy couldn't stomach it. Every time he would eat, he would start throwing up. And then he so he just quit eating and eventually he starved to death. So oh my he, god. He, the twenty three year old unfortunately ended up dying. So now Jose was out on this boat out in the middle of the fucking sea, all by himself, and he ends up getting into de- into a depression after this guy dies. Sure. And he doesn't even touch his body for like six days. Oh. The Oh the God. body's on the boat for, like, six days, and he's, like, talking to it. He's probably, like, kind of hallucinating at this point. Yeah, I can imagine. But eventually he gets, like, this feeling of hope, and he has, like, a little mini funeral for this guy, and then he shoves him off the boat, and this guy just focuses on surviving. Sure. This guy would last another nine months. Holy shit. On this boat. Four hundred and thirty eight days total.
0: Okay, I've heard of the story, yeah.
1: This guy was yeah. out on the boat and he just kept drinking turtles' blood, eating turtle, eating whatever the fuck this guy can get his hands on from the ocean. Sure. And he ended up uh, he ended up reaching an inlet to the Marshall Islands, and he swam to shore where he saw like this really small hut that this couple had been living in. Oh, and okay, there you go. So he was able to find people and uh, get taken to to safety. So wow, they gave him food. Now his family I like, couldn't believe it because they did get because his boss did get the transmission, but when they went to go search for them, they were so far out. Yeah, and they only found remnants of the boat. So they all thought that they were dead. They all wrote them off as dead had sure. funerals and shit and everything yep. so when he came out his family was ecstatic but there were other people that were like dude this dude's a lion like he's an imposter this this dude looks too good be out on a boat with nothing for five months i'm sure but this dude was just able to survive and, yeah. and a lot of people thought that he killed the partner and ate him oh my god and all this shit so yeah but he ended up taking like multiple lie detector tests and passing all of them
0: i guess that is Cre- crazy could you imagine surviving yeah. all that and being like suspected of murder after the fact yeah unreal <laughs> but yeah that's that's the story of jose i think there's a movie about that i'm pretty sure there probably. is. probably um that was a really good story yeah it's kind of yeah, better that's a good one it's going to be better than my next one and my next one's a similar story about Stephen Callahan, but he only survived 76 days. So that's not nearly as impressive as 438, but this is still kind of an interesting story. And I did a bunch of different research on this guy, but basically in 81, he went on a solo sailing trip. Now this guy was like a, he was a, he was a seaman. Like he would, he would build his own boats, like his own sailboats and he'd sail them and he could sail like from like the Atlantic coast to Bermuda with no problem, just by himself on his little, his 21.3 foot sailboat. So he took out his boat that he named the napoleon solo and set out from rhode island to bermuda and then to england so he did all this without incident by himself which is crazy that's pretty Could you imagine that's pretty impressive this isn't a huge boat it's only 21 it's like yeah, the side it's not, of my car not, basically not very big um he was heading to uh spain he was part of a race and i guess he was heading to antigua in january of 82 and he ended up colliding out at sea with an unknown object something hit him from below and pretty much wrecked his boat. He thinks it was a whale, but he doesn't really he doesn't really know what it was. Something came up from above and hit his boat, and he collided with it that he didn't see, and it damaged his boat badly. Now it didn't completely sink the boat, but it capsized it and it made it pretty much useless for him. Damn. So what ended up happening was he was out in the middle of nowhere. He had not really uh, he didn't really have a night. I mean, he kind of knew where he was headed, but he out in the middle of nowhere, like 800. I think he said like 800 miles from uh, the Canary Islands. This is in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, basically. So he's out there, and he had a survival raft like a six foot i think he said it was like a six foot raft and it was one of those that had like a tent above so he wasn't gonna have sun damage so what he ends up doing was he stuck by the capsized boat like his normal boat and he was able to salvage at least some supplies by like diving back in and getting some shit so he's able to save a couple water stills some like fishing equipment but no tackle and just a few other things and he was able to basically set himself up and he or i guess he did have a survival book as well that he was able to salvage so he had he had some idea of what he was gonna put together basically now he had three water like solar water sills where you like derive water from the atmosphere basically he didn't know how they worked though, so he had to take apart one just to figure out how they how the other ones worked. So he only had two. He could have had three, but he only had two. And it was basically it would create like a pint of water a day, basically. So that was how he hydrated himself. That was all he was able to drink outside of rainwater that he was able to collect. So that's you're kind of pushing the limits right there. Yeah. And he was really like this guy was kind of cut out for this. Like he had he had the brain to like put together a system of how he's going to acquire food, how he was going to acquire water, how he's going to keep himself sane the entire time. So the stills were working. He didn't have any supplies though. Like he didn't have any like food or anything so he was trying to routinely attract attention from like any ships nearby he says that he did see nine ships on the water during his time but none of them noticed him or saw him he was firing off flares and everything but it wasn't really it wasn't really happening but he was able to basically keep the raft afloat and it would get damaged and he was able to keep it like he was able to keep it together. Like he would patch it up if it got damaged and shit. Like he really this guy That's was incredible. like this guy was industrious. Now for food, he was able to catch a few fish and he's able to catch birds. What ended up happening though is out in the middle of the ocean, his raft was like the only floating object out there, and like an ecosystem of animals kind of like develops around the raft. So that kind of helped him out quite a bit because there were like fish nice. that were swimming around here, there were birds landing on it routinely. So it ended up working out for him and basically after 75 days afloat he spotted an island near uh guadalupe and i got some fishing vessels out there nearby and they ended up finding him pretty quickly and saving him nice but it was like 76 days of just consistently putting together a plan and this guy ended up it's ended up like starting his career as like a writer because he was like he was like on it the entire time so he's now a survival coach basically that's that's Uh, like what a better survival coach than a guy that was stuck in the situation for literally lived it yeah Yep, so he's written survival books and he does a lot of survival. Lectures these days. Nice. And it was, it was pretty interesting. Serious so in story. I didn't do a good job of breaking it down. There's a lot to research with this one. But I mean, he had a plan. Like, he was like, oh, I'm going to stick next to my boat for a while, salvage whatever I can that I think is going to be useful, and then kind of go from there, basically. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Definitely a challenge. That's like, that's like the I mean, peak that's, that's... Of, of like masculinity is like having to survive like the <laughs> challenges. You know what I mean?
1: Like, I feel like that's what you would have to do. You would have to, one, not panic. I'm sure. And just really think about what the fuck you're gonna do yep and a, a common theme in a lot of these stories is when people really have to survive like they get this crazy adrenaline
0: sure and they get like
1: superhuman abilities
0: almost. exactly it's crazy and the problem solving is the biggest thing like this guy consistently running the problems he'd solve them but he would also make what he was doing better he'd always be improving his process mm-hmm. which that's that's what it's all about just doing whatever you can basically unreal so that's Stephen callahan his story is pretty popular as well i thought that yeah. was a good story i saw his but i decided not to do it. Understood. All right. On to your next one. What do you got? Next one is
1: you ever heard of Aaron Ralston? I can't say that I have. So in two thousand three, I don't know if it's Aaron or Aaron. It's A
0: R O N. Sounds like Aaron to me. Right, Aaron. I don't know. Aaron.
1: Isn't Aaron two A's?
0: A Ron. It usually is. Anyways, he went
1: pioneering alone through Blue John Canyon in Wayne County, Utah.
0: Now wait, did you say he went pioneering? Canyoneering. Okay, I was gonna say <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a pioneering was something you do. <laughs> Hey, Come on, family about to go pioneering. All right, I'm sorry. So as he was descending
1: this canyon, a boulder that was suspended got dislodged and it smashed his left hand and then pinned and crushed his right arm against the canyon wall.
0: Okay, I think I have heard this story before. Yeah, this, yep. this
1: was a popular one, I think. So, immediately, there's nothing this guy can do. This rock weighed like 800 pounds. Sure. And it was completely pinned. You're not doing anything at this point. Sure. And another issue was, is he didn't tell anybody that he was going on this trip. And this was a very remote part of this canyon. Gotcha. So, there's no way anyone's going to know where the hell you're at. Sure. Now, he spent five days slowly drinking the rest of his water supply, which was not a lot. He had like, I think it was like 12 ounces of water left. Oh my God, water left more than that yeah it was not it was not a lot and he also had like two burritos. I don't know what kind of burritos these were, but some type of some type of traveling, hiking burrito. I don't really know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, guess, I, know. I guess that could be a thing. Now, after running out of water and food, after the five days, he decided to start drinking his own piss, and he would end up like carving his name into the rock next to him. Sure. And like his birthday, and his apparent day of death, because he didn't expect to survive the night after this. Fair enough. Yep. So after waking up, he had a dream drive to live and he discovered that his arm was starting to decompose so from the lack of blood so it's time yeah. it's time for him to amputate his arm so what this dude does absolutely unbelievable like i think he actually tries he, he thinks about it at first but he like couldn't do it because his um uh, his multi tool just wasn't made for that like he couldn't get through like his tendons and shit sure and whatnot. The way I read the story is how I understood it. He ended up discovering that he could break his radius and ulna bones and using torque against his trapped arm if that makes sense. Okay. So that he would basically be able to like yeah. almost kind of like twist it out is how I understand it, which is unbelievable. Like, could you imagine no, this? No, that's could yeah. Could you fucking imagine this? So. He ended up amputating his forearm with his multi-tool, which was like a dull two-inch knife, and then he used pliers to like break his tendons, the, the tougher oh tendons. My it God. was unbelievable to me. Now this painful process took an hour, so he's literally
0: doing this for an hour, carving
1: at his arm for an hour oh my God. to free himself. After freeing himself, now check this shit out. He climbed down the canyon that he had been trapped in. He rappelled down a 60-foot sheer wall, oh then my hiked God. out of the canyon all one-handed. Yeah. He he yeah. repelled down. That means that he was doing he, this with a fucking rope. Like, he's going down the mountain. Like, how the hell is this guy not bleeding to death? And he's starved. He's dehydrated. No water. No
0: water. Oh, now, my God.
1: Check this shit out. He was eight miles from his vehicle, and he had no phone. After But after six miles of hiking, he encountered a family on vacation from the Netherlands.
0: Could you imagine you travel from the Netherlands, <laughs> and you're out hiking in the United States. You think you're all alone, and some asshole with no hand comes <laughs> at you. Could you imagine just running into this? It's unbelievable. Oh, my God. He lost 40 pounds, and twenty five percent blood volume. Well, I mean, how much is your arm weigh? Probably five, ten pounds at least. Yeah, well That's he, he didn't fucking eat. That's part of it too. You know? I just
1: yeah. I just can't believe he hiked six miles. And yeah, he, I mean he he, he repelled down sixty
0: five foot drop. I mean, are you fucking kidding me? With at that one point arm? you're running on adrenaline. You're running on adrenaline. At how that in that the
1: point. hell how in the hell you hold on to the rope?
0: I don't know how he'd manage that, but <laughs> Well, I mean, you see pirates do it in the movies. They usually have a hook on their hand. Yeah, this but... guy this guy actually has, like, claws
1: now. That's pretty cool. It's like a hook-type claw.
0: That's pretty, that's, that's kind of what you need. Yeah, so. but he didn't have it then. Yeah, fair enough. Unreal. Anyways, that's a great story. you have anything more with that one? Nope, that's about it. I think he does survival teaching as well these days, or he does a yeah, lot. Of, he does a lecture circuit. He was on Dayline. What was his name again? His name was Aaron,
1: or a
0: or Aaron Ralston. Aaron Ralston. Okay, that's a great one. That's pretty gotta weird. get him on the show one of these days, talk about his story. Sure. Anyways, my next one. This one's a little bit different. That's my last story for the day. This one's gonna be a quick one. Have you ever heard of Ole Rip? Ol Rip. I don't know. Ole Rip the Horny Toad. <laughs> Okay. It was a horned lizard, but they keep calling it a toad, even though it was a lizard. Okay. Back in 1897, the horned lizard, which is what it really is, even though everybody refers to it as a toad, even though it was a lizard, was put in the cornerstone of Easton County, Texas's third courthouse that they were building. So for some reason, you know how back then they would put, like, like a Bible and stuff in like the cornerstone sure. of a new building. Some kid caught this lizard and was like, hey, dad, I caught this lizard. And the dad was like, you know, we're going to put it in the cornerstone just for just <laughs> for fun, basically. So the lizard was alive. They put it with a Bible and a bottle of liquor and a bunch of other shit. They put it in the cornerstone and they sealed it up. Sure. And that was supposed to be the end of old rip. What ended up happening is in 1928, which would have been 31 years later, it was time to build a new courthouse. So they were taking down the old one and someone was like, hey, remember that lizard that got thrown into the cornerstone? And everyone was like, yeah, I do remember that. So I guess the entire town gathered up and a bunch of people traveled like, <laughs> like just to see the lizard, basically, because they thought it was funny. And then when they cracked open the cornerstone, they pulled it out and then it started to move. And it ended up being alive the entire time. Like it lived. How long was this? 31 years. Sealed away with no food or anything. Already. Lived, <laughs> and how is this possible? I don't know. Was it drinking the, the liquor? Is it drinking the whiskey? I don't know how it, how the lizard survived. Now, it is kind of like an urban legend, but like it was like really popular. And they put the lizard on tour, and the lizard like lived for a while. And even Calvin Coolidge examined the lizard himself as president. Unreal. And Old Rip, it was like, it's like they don't know. Like, they don't know. It, it was it was alive. I think it ended up, I think it lived a while longer, too.
1: What part of the world was this? This is Texas.
0: Huh. I don't know when it died, but it ended up getting embalmed and preserved. And <laughs> it's missing a leg now, but. Darn. Old Rip. Old Rip. Survived. And there's like debate from zoologists as to whether or not this could have been possible. Some people said that if it ended up in hibernation, it's theoretically okay. possible. And there's one guy out there that says that he's experienced similar things with these animals, which I don't really know how valid. I've never heard is. of this.
1: I've never heard of this. But
0: Old Rip survived being encased in a cornerstone for 31 years. Old Rip, isn't that Good crazy? Job. Unreal. I first heard of that. Excuse me. I first heard of that story from uh, a book I used to read in grade school called Uncle John's Bathroom Reader for Kids Only. I don't know if you remember those books. It was just like it was just like we just have like a ton of stories and just like interesting facts and ghost stories and crazy shit nice and there were two different copies that the school library had i would check those out all the time i, I read those things cover to cover nice this was strange odd this is like oddities basically but it was designed for kids right but the stories themselves were great and that's kind of what kind of got me started in all these weird things that we talk about today so, nice old rip i think you can still see him i think he's in a museum somewhere still
1: so. nice we should go see him yep tell see? him we
0: talked about him oh yeah definitely anyways what else you got today sir i'm gonna try and make this one quick this is uh maro
1: Prosperity. you ever hear this can't say that I. Hear of him, I should say. So in 1994 he's 39 years old. He was an Italian police officer and former Olympic penta athlete. Pentathlete. Is that how you say that? Yep. Now, this guy, he entered in one of the hardest marathons on Earth. Like, you literally have to let them know where to send your body if you don't make it through this race. Sure. Oh, my
0: God. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's kind of freaking crazy. Kind of morbid. Yeah.
1: So, the it's called the Marathon of the Sands or the Sahara Marathon or Marathon Disables. Yes. <laughs> okay. Now, this is called the Toughest Foot Race on Earth. This is a six-day annual ultra marathon. It covers 156 miles. Holy shit. Roughly. The same as six regular marathons. It takes place in the Sahara Desert, specifically southern Morocco. In preparation, now this mario guy obviously he's a professional at this professional athlete. Sure. He is getting up there in age, sure. 40 years old. Uh, in preparation, this guy ran 25 miles a day, and he seemed really confident in his ability to do this race. So the race went well at first and was doing very well in the race. But the fourth day of the race, shit started hitting the fan for him. Oh god. Yeah. So on the fourth day, it was a very windy day and he fell he found himself caught like in between these two really big sand dunes sure and he fell behind and he got really winded oh my god and the pace setters were way ahead so and then like at this point a sandstorm came in and he got caught up in this sandstorm sure and he ended up being all alone and he ended up finding like this rock by this dune he ended up kind of like taking shelter on this rock and during this time he's like man i'm so pissed i'm,
0: I'm behind <laughs> I'm in this race i'm not gonna win the race i'm not gonna
1: win the race anymore and he's like you know what i'm, I'm just gonna wait for this sandstorm to go by and then i really gotta get caught up in this race
0: yep you know those those storms will slow you down
1: right well the storm ended up lasting like eight hours and he was like well i literally can't do anything this storm is still going on so i'm I'm gonna have to sleep here tonight sure and then when i wake up in the morning i'm gonna get back on it and i really got to get caught up in this race so when he wakes up he finds that the same storm completely changed the landscape around him (laughs) this dude has absolutely no clue where he is at nothing looks the same he can't he can't tell what direction he's looking in sure He can't tell anything.
0: Probably looks like the Dune Sea.
1: Literally. So now he did have a little bit of supplies, but he didn't have hardly any water sure because you like basically on this race i believe like you hit like these checkpoints and they yeah. like they like give you a water bottle and the idea is you drink a water bottle in between these checkpoints i think is, is what I gather and I'll be just, but these checkpoints are very far apart yeah that makes <laughs> sense though yeah. yeah so he has very little water now he climbs up some dunes to see if he can see anyone or anything and he can't see anything sure and he does this like multiple times to try and figure out how in the hell to get out of there but he ends up you know realizing I'm gonna die if I keep' doing ...because I have, like, no water left. Yep. And I have very little food, and also it's very hot during the day. So what he ultimately ends up doing is kind of, like, wandering at night because it's not as hot. Sure. So he kind of travels at night, rests during the day to preserve his energy, which that helped him stay alive. But he strikes gold, and he finds, like, this Muslim shrine that had, like, a dead body in it. So he takes shelter in this shrine, luckily. And on the ceiling, he sees all these bats. Oh, my God. But he's completely out of water, so he basically starts taking these bats and drinking their blood to survive. Yeah. Which I don't know if I could do that. Like, I, I, I'd be able to do it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I don't know. I just ugh, couldn't imagine fucking taking a bat, fucking killing it. Sure. And he ended up taking wood the raptors and like making a fire and shit and this this is like extremely remote so he's out there he's lighting fires and planes are flying over him and everything and he's trying to get their attention with his fire and shit sure but he can't he can't get anybody's attention nobody knows where the hell he is so he starts to realize i'm I'm gonna die out here i might as well expedite this process so he takes some charcoal he writes like a note on like the floor or the wall i can't fucking remember to his wife and then he slits his arms his his wrists and then he goes to sleep. Well, when he wakes up, he notices that he hardly bled at all because his (laughs) his Drinking blood is so thick at this point. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. Could you imagine? (laughs) Yeah, you're like, God damn it. (laughs) God damn it. Right. So he woke up, and this gave him motivation to live. So he decided to leave the cabin, and he just wandered the desert, grabbing snakes and just whatever random shit that he could find to eat. Sure. Now, they told him before they went out on this race. They were like, look, I don't really see how this makes sense. But they told them, if you ever get lost... at dawn look at the clouds just over the horizon and if you follow those clouds that will lead you to civilization.
0: At dawn, look to the east.
1: Yes, I was just thinking that. <laughs> so that's basically what he did. He just looked at the horizon one morning, and he's like, okay, those clouds are right at the horizon. I guess I'm going to fucking start walking towards them. Sure. So he did, and he ended up seeing a shepherd girl out in the fucking desert. There and you go. She ended up leaving, leading him to safety. And the rest is history. The rest
0: is history. That's a pretty great story. Yeah. Uh, what was that guy's name again? His name was Mauro Prosperi. Mauro Prosperi. Okay. Yeah. That's a pretty good story. There's something about the Sahara Desert that I find compelling. Like, I want to go just like journey across it. Sure. To me, that's a really interesting story.
1: For sure, definitely.
0: I wonder, real quick, remember we did that Superhumans episode? Remember yeah. that guy that could just run? Yeah. I wonder if he's ever ran. I bet you he's ran in that race before. Probably. He's probably he's, done he's, it. He's not like he's cut out for that type of shit as long as he doesn't get lost. Definitely. That was a, that was a really good story. That's probably the best one we did today. I mean, it, it wouldn't fucking matter if he got lost. Well, yeah, he, can't, he, he just keeps going. Fucking keep going. Yeah anyways that was that was a really good one um everything more with that one
1: Nope, oh, that's it that's all i got
0: all right now before we got out here real quick this is a completely random comment that i wanted to make i know you're a fan of lord of the rings and tolkien's work yes there is a youtube channel out there that i'm trying to tell everybody about that i think is the greatest youtube channel of all time it's called nerd of the rings i can't believe i haven't mentioned this to you before it, you know how when you read those books, and you, well, even when you watch the movies, there's so much history, and it's really tough to keep track of like what the hell they're talking about. Sure. What this guy does... Is he breaks down, like, he does, he's got videos on all the topics, like the history of the Shire, the history of Isengard, or whatever. I think the recent one is Isengard, the history of Isengard, or the history of Elrond was the one I watched, where it just, like, his entire life story. But this guy is such a good storyteller, he just, he sucks you right in. And he's got these really cool illustrations, he's got, like, artists that do drawings for him, and it's all original art. That's awesome. but It's all, like, Lord of the Rings shit, and he has, like, these little maps that he uses. But it's, like, it's literally, like, watching the movie, but it's, like, not what awesome. it is. And it's, it's it's a YouTube channel and the videos are just incredible. It's called Nerd of the Rings. I'll
1: have to check that out. If you
0: need something to watch, like when you're like trying to fall asleep, but you want to like watch one more thing, like a ten minute thing or whatever. This is like the best YouTube channel. And I'm trying to get him views. He's starting to blow up all of a sudden. He was a kind of a very small channel for a while. Now he's starting to get a lot of views, but
1: I I, I have found something similar to that with Game of Thrones. Sure. Because I, I got very confused with just a bunch of the history of the houses. Yeah. And it, stuff like that. It does take a lot, yeah. And there's a guy that breaks it all down really awesome sure along with a map of the world and uses the map of the world to explain houses and shit like that it it
0: was pretty awesome yeah see with like game of thrones uh the show itself was kind of tough for me to really wrap my head around like what was going on and who the houses were sure once i got into the books though I read the books very slowly. I was it made a lot more sense to me, like in my yes. head. Yes. Um, but the map, it, the map can get kind of challenging too at times. Yeah. I think it's the third book. The third and the fourth book do a really good job of like telling stories in terms of like the process of moving across the map slowly and how how the map actually matters. And the, it, Westeros becomes like a character in and of itself.
1: Yes, definitely. During
0: like the one castle is like so important, but when you look at the map, you realize just how important that one castle is. And it's funny. Like in the third No, uh well, Heron Hall is another really important one. The one I was thinking of is uh shit, what the hell is it called? Moat Kalen. Oh yeah. Yeah, that becomes like really important for Rob Stark's campaign. Then I was playing the Game of Thrones board game and I was reading that book at the same time, and I just happened to have a couple of ways I wanted to play the Game of Thrones board game, so I was the Stark family. And that board game is so good, like it literally like you feel like you're in the books. And this was made before it was made before the show came out. It was just based on the books, and I'm like, God damn it, everything flows through that one castle, like you're trying to put together your battle plans and it's like nothing works if you don't have Molt kalen that's sweet so that was i thought that was kind of funny so anyways i'm a hit i'm a nerd when it comes no, to fantasy good. shit no but i like that shit anyways nerd of the rings great youtube channel if you guys like order the rings but you want to learn more about the lore these videos will suck you in though you can watch like three or four in a row and be like oh my god but they're so easy to follow like it makes everything so easy to follow
1: there's there's a guy on youtube called movie flame okay and he's like that with Harry Potter.
0: Oh, okay. Like, I see.
1: He dives deep into Harry Potter. Every character, their backstory. Sure. Like very really interesting shit and he's he's like really into film like he went to school for film so he like he like breaks down like every aspect of the films which is pretty cool and the books
0: that's awesome i'll have to check that out too yeah he's great no i'm not as in the harry potter but that might help me help me figure out what's going on oh yeah it's sweet anyways on that note it's about time to get out of here uh do you guys have anything else today
1: nope i'm all set
0: uh tim will probably be doing next episode i think maybe More Just depending likely. on what what happens yep so he's ready to go he's got a topic picked out and he's got some comments he wants to make so that shouldn't be a problem awesome uh please tweet us at 30 and please check us out on facebook please check us out wherever you listen to your podcast i'm trying to promote the show a little bit we're getting better we're getting some people out there we do have our first listener in austria so thank you that's thank pretty you. cool Awesome. Great to have you. Yes, we're up to like 20 countries or something ridiculous, so we're fully oh. international. That's awesome. Anyways, please keep listening to the show. Please keep telling your family and friends about it. We appreciate all the listens. I apologize. It's taken us. It's been kind of tough to get like a good routine going on. It's been a very busy summer. Fed had a lot going on. A lot going on, but we'll get back into it eventually, so don't worry. We're still going to be making podcasts when we can. Anyways, anything else tonight, Ben? That's all I got. All right, well, thank you very much, guys, for listening. Peace. Normally, he goes out
1: with other experienced fishermen, but nobody was able to go out with him on this trip. Sure. So, he ended up taking um, a 23-year-old who was not very experienced. His name was Ezekiel Corbadoa. Okay. Cordoba. Got Cordoba. 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 Got. He ended up taking Ezekiel Cordoba. So the day after the wedding, that was kind of like a long fucking day, right? We left the hotel at like noon. Really? Yeah. And before that, I had to go, I had to get an Uber to Nazareth, get our car, right? And I left the baby's breath in Paige's car, and it smelled so bad and I had to endure that all the way back to the hotel like a fucking 20 minute drive and tired as shit and I had to smell this fucking baby's breath you know that cloud that was above the dance floor yeah did you see it no I didn't look at that yeah not a lot of people saw it but it was part of the decorations and you make the cloud with a plant called baby's breath
0: oh okay yeah
1: and it was really cool looking Anyways, we had to get rid of all that shit, so I stuffed it in our car before I got out of the bus. <laughs> right, because I didn't know what the fuck to do with it. Sure. Dude, it smelled so bad, and I had to fucking endure that shit all the way back to the hotel. Alright, so.
0: I'm not going to lie, you guys put together a great wedding.
1: Thanks, man. Did you have a good time? I
0: had a great time. It was a privilege to be there.
1: Good, I'm glad. Yeah, it was fun a lot to put together but yeah
0: the food i don't know if i told you the food was perfect yeah like, i wish i could have had more than one plate but i was like it's not a good idea just to go crazy
1: i mean you easily definitely should have had two my
0: price should have
1: because they were not letting us take anything home oh yeah i forgot about that which was annoying
0: the mac and cheese was perfect the vegetable the green beans see i like green bean base so like that's fucking perfect mm-hmm. those were good uh, the meat was great. It was the good. braised
1: beef was phenomenal. The
0: braised beef. I should have had more of that. I had more of the chicken than the beef. I should have gotten some more of that braised beef. That was Man, that shit was bomb. That was the shit. Let me tell but
1: you. But I, I should have eaten more because while everybody was eating, we decided to thank everybody.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what you should do. That's the smart.
1: Yeah. Well, I scarfed down my one plate, and then that was it. I didn't have time to eat again after that. Well,
0: yeah. <clears throat>
1: Because right when we were done, they were taking our tables down.
0: Yeah. For the dance floor, I was like, "Well, fuck! I guess I'm done eating." <laughs> Me and Tony got kicked out. <laughs> we had anywhere to sit after that, which was fine.
1: Yeah, I had, that was one thing we didn't think about was when they took the head table away, where we were gonna sit. Yeah, there wasn't any sitting after <laughs> that. So, but I was overall I was happy with Nazareth. They were good service. Yep. They did well.
0: Uh, the only issue was uh, at, at during the cocktail hour, that was the dumbest thing. I'm not gonna lie, I didn't understand it because we didn't even have any beers. We were just sitting in the room. Oh yeah, I did not understand. Well, that. I
1: guess you could have went down to
0: the bar. Well, you know, you know, did you know what Hudson and Hayden did or uh, Brandon and Hayden? Yeah, had? they
1: went to the other fucking.
0: <laughs> I got, I was pissed. I told them not to do that. <laughs> they got, we got roped off after that. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, I did. That was hilarious. Yeah,
1: we're not, we weren't supposed to. Contact them in any 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 interaction. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah,
0: that was funny though.